Hi, everybody, and welcome to MoCo's Most Famous. My name is Joe Yashroff. I'm the director of content at Montgomery Community Media in Rockville, and I get to host this show, which showcases people that were born, grew up, and are spent significant time in Montgomery County. Today's guest is one of the most recognizable and successful musicians to come out of MoCo, Mark Bryan, singer, songwriter, guitarist, made his name as one of the founding members of Hootie and the Blowfish when they burst onto the scene in the mid 90s with an unmistakable sound, a string of hits uh, like Hold My Hand and Only Want to Be With You. Who can forget that one? Uh, that earned him two Grammys. Mark uh, Bryan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. So um, I want to go back, if we can, to Montgomery County growing up. Uh, you know, I think you're born in Silver Spring and uh, went to Seneca Valley. What was, uh, what was uh, Montgomery County like? What, what were you like as a kid growing up in Montgomery County? Um, man, I, the, it was an amazing place to grow up. My parents also grew up in Montgomery County. Both of my parents went to BCC High School. And um, when I was young, I was born at Holy Cross and we lived in Bethesda for until I was about five or six in Potomac. And then we moved to Montgomery Village um, and I spent most of my formative years there. Not only did I have all my friends from growing up in Gettysburg and Montgomery Village that are still very close to me, but I knew all of my parents' kids as well from Bethesda and Potomac and all that. So I had a really, really broad group of family, friends growing up and, and close friends. And I still do. And um, that's what makes shows like I did in Annapolis the other night very special because it's like a big reunion of people and uh, get to see all the people I grew up with and I'm still friends with. And it's, it's wonderful. So um, growing up there was really formative for me and um, I, I wouldn't trade it for anything. You, you played uh, Ram's Head in Annapolis the other night, and I know you have a new album that we're going to get to. Uh, I love the title, Midlife Priceless, so we're going to tease that for a little later. But uh, so what kind of music, uh, was right. music always a huge part of your life uh, from little kid on? Yeah, yeah. Um, earliest memories are like um, my parents, um, you know, when what they played, obviously, my dad was playing some Beach Boys and early Beatles um, and a lot of doo-wop. <clears throat> my mom listened to the Jesus Christ Superstar soundtrack a lot um, when, I, I, when I was, I don't know, six or seven. So I remember all of that very well. I remember um, a few, just the hits of the time, you know, uh, that really stick with me um, and saw um, Seldom Seen. Uh, mm -hmm. at the state fair when I was young, got to see some live bluegrass, saw um, uh, Harvey and the hubcaps at Rusty Rudder in, in Dewey Beach actually was very instrumental. <laughs> it was an amazing live show, like really entertaining. I remember seeing that when I was young and they're playing rock and roll and I was like, this is amazing. Um, and then finally, um, when I got a little older, my mom took me and my sister to see John Denver and Starland Vocal Band at Capitol Center when I was about 10. And then the next year, my dad took, took us to see Elvis at the Capitol wow. Center right before he died. And uh, I saw him when I was like 10 or 11. And um, so those are pretty, those are my formative early memories. Um, and then the first show I went to see at the Capitol Center without my parents was Van Halen on the Fair Warning Tour. Uh, so I mean, <laughs> it was a good, I mean, you know, that, that's, that's a lot of what I'm about is all of that safe to say that you you kind of looked up there and said i want to do that or or not that simple. yeah eddie van absolutely I'm, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. like he was running up and down the speakers and like just jumping and like playing amazing guitar. Like, yeah it's exactly what i wanted to do 
and you did it and you, you've done it very well. So what kind of kid were you in high school at uh, Seneca Valley? Were you that guy that was um, become the rock star? Not really. Like it, it, I was a late bloomer and I was still trying to play sports and uh, wasn't starting on any of the teams, but all my friends were still playing and I still really enjoyed that. But I kind of started playing a lot of guitar and getting into music. And I remember my dad coming to me and, you know, he was an athlete and a coach and everything. And he was like, I can tell you're spending more time on your guitar than you are out on the court practicing wherever he's like, you know, coach Jones expecting you to start senior year. Um, if you're, you know, but if you're more into music, maybe you should think about that and then yeah. let him know it wouldn't be fair to him if you're not going to put the time in. I and mean, he was right. I was, I was, my focus was moving more towards music. So I made that decision, um, quit basketball and went and joined the jazz ensemble at Seneca Valley high school and just got really into guitar and then started a band with all my buddies with Dean from Hootie, who was also at Seneca Valley high school. We had a band in high school called missing in action and it was Dean and I, and then two or three other guys from Gaithersburg high school who are really good friends of ours. And, um, that was our high school band played a lot of covers, wrote one original, <laughs> um, and then at the tail end of high school, I started jamming with some guys called, we called ourselves the Norms. And that was my first original band. What was the one, sorry to interrupt you, but what was that one original yeah. song that you wrote? So the one for Missing in Action was called, I Don't Want to Lose You. And um, we wrote it as a group, but it came from our other guitar player, Mark Johnson. Okay. And we played it at every show. We made a recording of it and everything. I still have the recording. I mean, it sounds like a high school band. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah so what went into your decision to go to south carolina and how big of a decision was that uh for you i my dad was doing broadcast broadcasting uh he was doing gw basketball games with mike patrick on 98 a oh, wow. 980 a.m uh, and so i was like man that, that would be a really cool thing to do so I decided I wanted to do broadcast journalism and University of South Carolina had a really good program. We came down and visited and I was really impressed and they had a really good college radio station. Um, and it was, I just was, that was, that was kind of my decision was made. I knew it could be a DJ and I knew I could study sports casting and I was like, I'm in, you know, and I got down to uh, University of South Carolina freshman year and Darius lived on my hall in my dorm. And Dean lived in the hall upstairs from us oh, in the man. same dorm, all coincidentally. So that was meant to be. And you're, of course, talking about Darius Rucker, who's the lead singer of Hootie and the Blowfish. So how did that first yeah. meeting happen? How, how, did, how did it all happen? Well, uh, we, he, he was always singing on the hall. Just, he just loved to sing. And we had, like, we would have these shower parties because we had these big open shower rooms where everybody had to shower yeah or so make it a party and and uh, i had my guitar down at school and everything. so after a couple of parties we just figured out that we knew some of the same songs and he's like i can get us a gig over at this little place across the street and so we started playing it as the wolf brothers and then within three or four wolf brothers shows it was like man let's get dean on bass and find a drummer and became hootie and the blowfish pretty quickly like and and darius named the band after two guys that he were friends of his from like a choir group that he was in and he had given them the nicknames blowfish and hootie and just suggested that as a band name and i didn't think anything was going to come from at the time i was a freshman in college i was like yeah it sounds great sure <laughs> and i you know years later i thought god what a terrible name but it was too late for us to change it and i would say things worked out pretty well so 
I've heard other uh, very successful uh, musicians say, "Man, if I had known we were got, we would have gotten this big, I w we wouldn't have named the band that." So it's funny to, to uh, Dave Grohl, uh, Foo Fighters. I think I've heard him talk about that. I mean, I'm still trying to make sense of that name. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, so you became pretty big on campus pretty quickly. It sounds like we um, we did. Like, uh, yes, um, we started playing all the frats and, and stuff like that and sorority shows and then playing the clubs all around town and that sort of thing. And, uh, and by the time we were seniors and we thought about changing the name, it, it was too late. You know, we, we were known. Yeah. We were known at that point as Hootie. So. And then, um, so it, in the late, so you formed in the late eighties, correct? Uh, 86, 85, 85, 86. Yeah. The, the first show was in the spring of 86, I think my, um, okay. still, still freshman year, but like spring of freshman year. Yeah. And so when, okay. So you were big on campus, but when did it go to the next level as you know what, this is bigger than just a big, uh, big college band. This is something bigger than that. We like, uh, somewhere in the 90, 90 through 92 area, we started touring, um, clubs all around the Southeast and, the growth was exponential, you know, and that's when you knew there was something there. And, and we started selling uh, CDs out of our van, you know, at the shows in wild numbers. And we were, we were able to get these small Southeastern distribution deals with the, at the little stores in the Southeast, you know, and we were selling as many copies of our albums as like the Red Hot Chili Peppers were, U2, R.E.M. And so the labels started looking at going, who's this band that's like nobody's heard of that's selling the same amount as all these bands? And only in these little areas, you know, only where we had been playing shows, you know. And so it was really obvious that, um, you know, we, we had created a recipe for success and we could have kept going ourselves at that point. We were, we were successful indie at that point. Sure. But then we got an offer from Atlantic that was great because... The guy who signed us from Atlantic, Tim Summer, um, came from an indie approach. So he totally understood the band, totally got what we were doing, and he was able to help us take it to the next level in the right way, it, it being sincerely who we were. And that almost became part of our success was the normal guys or whatever. These guys aren't trying to make it. It's not Marilyn Manson. It's not all this makeup. It's like these guys are just who they, exactly who they are, and they're making music. And that almost became part of the success, which was cool. Does anything prepare you to become a big rock star? Uh, I mean, the years that, that we put in dreaming and going after it is about all that I can say that prepares you. So, I mean, we're somewhat prepared, but like the hardest part was taking that stage, uh, that, that club stage show up to an arena sized stage show because we were just so used to being a club band. And, and within a year we had to become an arena band. And, um, and so that was hard. And um, we just had as much fun with it as we could. We put a bar on our stage, you know, just to fill out some space. <laughs> it was just try, continuing to try to be ourselves, you know. Um, so, I mean, I, you know, we just had as much fun with, with it as we could. And, and now we're still able to do it, which is great. That's right, because uh, the band didn't break up. You kind of went your separate ways, correct me if I'm wrong, but you still perform, correct? Together? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, we did. Um, our, one of our biggest tours we've ever had was 2019. Pre-pandemic, pre you had good timing, right? 
I mean, up like like three up till about three months before the pandemic was when our tour ended. Yeah, the timing could not have been better. I was very fortunate. What is the? I mean, now you've done it uh, for many years, but what is the feeling on stage when you have however many twenty thousand, whatever many thousand people? What is what is that feeling that goes through your body? Uh, try to describe it for for those of us who will never experience that. <laughs> it's uh, uh, it's like the ultimate kindred spirit feeling of like, like where you know everybody's feeling the same energy all at the same time and 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 you when you're throwing it out there you're feeling it from somewhere that you can't describe and then then they take it and they're they're throwing it back and then that's so exponential and undescribable that it, that it overwhelms you and then you go to a place that uh is sort of um you know um i'm not i'm not coming up with the right words right now but it's past explanation it's past explanation and it's and uh the only thing i can do at that point is remember to breathe and stay under control so i can continue to put on a good show because what happens is I'll, I'll start running and jumping and then i can't breathe and i can't sing and i start messing up you know so i have to like remember to breathe <laughs> to stay under control very interesting so one of my favorite movies of all time is almost famous i'm sure you've seen it did, do you feel oh, yeah. like that movie captured kind of rock and roll um, as much as I did as a non-rock and roller? Uh, just curious. It was a great little cross-section snapshot of that period of growth that I was just talking about from sort of going from a club band to an arena act. And it was, I thought they did a wonderful job. Cameron Crowe's amazing, obviously. And um, yes, it was, it's pretty accurate. Um, it's obviously fictional, you know, whatever you, you draw your own conclusions from it. But I, I thought it was pretty accurate reading of how it goes down. Yeah. I think the groupie part of it was the groupie part of it was, was a little blown out of proportion, you know, obviously a little, little Hollywooded out, but um, uh -huh. I'm glad it made the movie more fun, you know. Absolutely. Cameron Crowe had a lot of help from his wife, Nancy Wilson, half of Heart, who was the music consultant on that movie, I believe. So uh, to, to get Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Yeah. I believe I believe so. Maybe I just made that up, but I'm pretty sure I'm right on that. Um, oh, that would be really cool because I'm a big fan of both of them. So that, yeah. that I would that makes the movie even better. Yes, absolutely. And and the scene with a tiny dancer on the bus, and it's impossible for me to hear that song without thinking about that scene. I don't know if you do the same. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. Totally agreed. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about. Um, your solo career now you've been solo for for many years and we talked about the new album midlife priceless so tell us about the album what does midlife prices priceless mean <laughs> well uh when we were writing writing for the uh hootie album that came out in, in 2019 um uh, it's called imperfect circle uh we wrote about 60 to 80 songs together for that and we wrote with other people outside of the band too wrote with a bunch of nashville writers and, uh, and just brought like 60 or, or 80 songs in together um and when you do when you bring that many in there's bound to be really good songs left behind and so i love imperfect circle i thought we made some great song choices and great recordings but when it was all said and done there was just literally exactly an album's worth of songs staring at me that were left behind that were, I was like, man, this one's, this is so good. How did we not cut? Oh my God. You know, that kind of thing. And, uh, and so that usually happens after Hootie albums. And so I just go, well, man, I, you know, I'm not going to leave them sitting on the cutting room floor. And so I make them, I make an album every time and just getting better at it now. And so this is my fourth one. And, and, 
by far the best one I've done, I think. And it's, it's the best collection of songs, I think, that I've ever written or co-written and released. Um, and then I'm, my engineer and I have just gotten really good at the, at the process of making records. And, um, and I've gotten a lot better at singing and playing and, and all that kind of stuff. So I really feel like it's my best effort yet. And then a lot of the songs sort of uh, naturally have the theme of having gotten to a place in my life where I understand things from a perspective that I couldn't have when I was younger. And therefore, the, uh, the midlife priceless yeah. tags seem to work really well, you know. And you have at least uh, one very creative video. Uh, I know you guys did. Oh, no. Oh, but let me stop you right there. I did. Uh, I have to start. I'm sorry. I did six videos, six videos for, for, for this album, which is something I've never done before. Wow. But I thought, well, if I'm going to release this, I might as well have some fun with it. So I made six videos and um, they're all on YouTube, obviously, on my Mark Bryan. It's, it's like Mark Bryan parentheses Hootie on YouTube. Easy to find. Mm -hmm. And they're all there, but I didn't mean to cut you off. Please tell me about the one that you were going to mention. No, it was, uh, and, and I'm sorry, I just forgot the name of it, but it's created. Obviously this was not just any video uh, producer. You, you went, you got real creative just visually. Um, and I'm trying to remember. What oh, the one where we did like the animated stuff. Yes, exactly. Yes. Right. Um, yeah. Oh man, that was great. Um, great little director out of new york and I'm, his name's escaping me right now i'd have to look it up okay. um, but he it, and if you look at the videos it's right there it says directed by and um yeah he he sent me this concept of like hey uh you know we all you need to do is sing and you know use your iphone to sing and do a little uh, green screen backdrop and sing the song and then i'll put all the other stuff behind you i like that sounds great not like it really fits that track and it also is different than any of the other videos i've made you know it's the only one that has that animated look to it so um i thought he did a great job anyway the song's called explain that to a heart That's so cool. if you're looking for a cool animated video check out explain that to a heart on my mark brian youtube page absolutely um now what is die young as late as you can what does that mean to you and what should it mean to other people Okay, I was writing with uh, Wyatt Durrett at the time, and uh, uh, he's a great songwriter that, that co-wrote uh, all the Zac Brown number ones that you know and love and, mm -hmm. and several other great songs. And um, Wyatt and I were writing with our buddy Philip Lamons, and we were writing this song, Taking a Ride, and somehow it popped into Wyatt's head that at George H.W. Bush's funeral, George W. said... Um, you know, be like my father, die, die young as late as you can. And, um, and so we kind of borrowed that line from, from W and um, added it to the song. We, we talked about uh, your video. So your most famous video is obviously going way back with Hootie and the Blowfish. Um, I only want to be with you. And that thing had, I, I rewatched it for the first time in a long time. I mean, we got the ESPN guys, we got Olbermann, we got Patrick, you got um, Dan Marino, uh, Hall of Fame quarterback for the Dolphins. You got all these NBA stars, including local guy Walt Williams, Alonzo Mourning, who went to Georgetown. What Mugsy? That how did you put all that stuff into a video? What how did that come about? Um, you know, okay, we were working with a director at the time who was really cool about keeping the script loose, and it was it was Darius's idea, and he he was also a broadcast journalism major with me at South Carolina. And he and I would always joke around even before the band, even before we like knew we were going to go for it with the band, we would joke around that like we were going to do play by play and color on the 
uh, for, for sports, for some sort of sports, <laughs> yeah, like we were going to be ESPN guys. That was our, when we were studying broadcasting at South Carolina. So when it came time to do that video, Darius's idea was, Hey, let's just, let's make the video like an episode of sports center, you know? And so that's, that was the initial sort of theme behind it. And we gave that to the director and we got in touch and the ESPN guys were all like, Oh, what a freaking great idea. Yeah. We'll host it. Blah, blah, blah. And so, and they were, they're hilarious on it. Obviously that's, I think that's what makes it big. That's what made it bigger than anything is those guys. Um, but, and then we asked some friends like Fred couples and, and Marino and um, you know, all the basketball guys to, to join us. Um, and uh, I think, and then as we went along, each scene was kind of done in the moment. There wasn't a whole lot of scripting. Like when we decided to play the NBA guys four on four, you know, that we, they, they, we spotted them like, or they spotted us like 20 points in a game to 24 or something like that. And, <laughs> and we literally played them. And so when people were getting swatted, I mean, that was real. Yeah. <laughs> but who won the game? They did. Yeah. They did. We got, we came close. We, we scored. At least we scored. <laughs> we didn't win though. If not put so much time into the music and stayed with basketball, you might've won, but then you wouldn't be making the video. So you know yeah no no i think all the right choices were made along the way <laughs> I, think, I think that is safe to say um all right so sports you talked about being a big part of your life um you uh host and co-host these charity golf tournaments in south carolina the monday after the masters uh how did that start and uh how much fun do you have at those they started from south carolina junior golf association actually mm -hmm. um who started the idea of having a, an event for charity the day after the masters here in South Carolina, since we're right next to Augusta. And then the next week is Hilton head and for the tour, you know, so it was a great idea. They asked us to come in and be celebrities at it in 95, like right when we had just hit, you know, and the event was in Columbia, our hometown at the time. So that was an easy yes. We, we showed up at the event and here's all these pro golfers and we beca start becoming friends with them right away, you know, and we're, we are watching them on TV anyway. We're huge fans. And so we start becoming friends with these guys. And next thing we know, South Carolina Junior Golf says, well, hey, why don't you guys co-host this event with us? And we did. We did co-host it. And Peter Jacobson was one of the golfers that was there early on. And Jake was like, you guys should do a show around this event. And we were like, you're right, Jake. <laughs> and so we, once we started doing a show, it just blew up. And so it's still us in South Carolina junior golf to this day. We're 27 years in and they're the main benefactor, but there's several, several other charities that benefit from it as well. And um, uh, it's this amazing thing that we built. I've seen some of the stuff you've done. A very, very cool event. Obviously raises money for a worthy cause. And in Pete, Peter Jacobson, you picked a guy not only who was a hell of a golfer, not only he's a great guy, but he's a musician too. So that must be fun. It is. Yeah. It, uh, it, he's, he is a really special person and he's, he's obviously played in, in the event a few times too. Um, so, uh, but both as a golfer and a musician, <laughs> which is cool. What's their group? Jake um, and the Trout or something? Uh, yeah. Jake Trout and the, Jake Trout and the Flounders and uh, Mark Lye was in it. And Payne Stewart was, was in Jake Trout and the Flounders. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, um, so I wanted to ask you, uh, do you consider yourself a Montgomery County person, a South Carolina person, both? I mean, you've been in South Carolina. I am MoCo at heart. I am MoCo at heart. I have a fantasy football team called the MoCo Tree Huggers. Um, I still follow Maryland basketball. 
um, very much uh, grew up on that and still love it to this day. Um, they're still competitive in the Big Ten, which is fun for me. Um, I uh, still love to come. I come up every year for Thanksgiving to see my family. Um, I play golf up there when I can. I play shows. I just played Rams Head in Annapolis uh, last Friday night, uh, which was just phenomenal. Um, you know, I'm still a uh, Washington football team fan, as hard as that you're is the, to do. You're the one. You're the one. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've tried to, I tried to move on because of my uh, dismay, but my heart won't let me in, in anywhere else. Like, I like the Panthers, and I like the Ravens, but I just, I just like them. I, you know, I, I just love the football team. I can't help it. So uh, that's just who I'm, you know, I'm in. I'm a lifer. Um, so I'll, once, once things settle down, I might start coming back to games. I got rid of my season tickets when it got really bad. And, um, you know, um, I don't know. I still love it up there. I still love coming up to the water. I, I spent a few days in Ocean City mm-hmm. in 2019. Um, spent like half a week there and rented a house. And it was amazing. You know, just had so much fun forgot how great that place is. I mean, and, and, and recently I've been up in the Western part of Maryland um, and near Frederick and it's just absolutely beautiful up there at Sugarloaf playing some golf and stuff like that. And I mean, it's just, it really is incredible. I'm not moving from Charleston. I love where I live here in Charleston mm-hmm. even more, but I'm so happy to be from that area up there. And when I was in Annapolis, just looking down the street towards the Bay, like I, it's, it's just and um, driving over the uh, the bridge where the National Harbor is now, looking back and seeing the monument sticking up above all the buildings down the river. I mean, I was like, wow, this is a really cool place to say I came from, you know. You know what? It sounds like you're just writing a song as you're speaking. It sounds like you have the makings of a song about uh, MoCo or Maryland. I don't know. Am I onto something? Or if not? you go back to my first solo album, 30 on the Rail, there's a song called City by a River. Mm-hmm. And it was written with the spirit of both being from Maryland near a river and living in South Carolina near a river. It's it's written in with that spirit in mind. So check that one out. Absolutely. And it reminds me of, uh, you know, you talked about Starline Vocal Band and and you know the story about Bill Danoff and Taffy Nivert, two of the members of the band driving down. I know they're from the area, but I don't know the story. Well, the country, Take Me Home, Country Road. Oh, uh, yeah. uh, Take Me Home. um, What's the road? Oh, my God. Clopper. What's that? Clopper. It's Clopper, Clopper Road, isn't it? That was the original. Yeah. It was never going to be that, but that's how it started. They're just driving and playing. right. And uh, so um, a lot of a lot of great uh, folks have come have come from Montgomery County. OAR and uh, Nils Lofgren, and uh, so uh, it, it's a yep. place to be from. Uh, inspiration for sure. My um, high school girlfriend lived off of Clopper Road. Did she? That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> there you go, man. Tell me about tell me about the Ramshead concert before we uh, before we leave here. Um, you, you mentioned it a couple times. So uh, how how much fun it is for you to now as a solo artist to to come back home, you know, home state and uh, play a show. Well, you know, obviously the turnout was fantastic, which is great. And just seeing everybody and the fact that they're there to hear the songs it makes me feel really good and. But the, the most special part about it is my band that I play with up there are all guys I grew up playing with. And um, the drummer I've been, I've known since fourth grade and I, I didn't even, I wasn't even playing guitar yet, but he was already playing drums and he might've been part of the motiv- motivation that started me playing guitar, you know? And then uh, the bass player's my best friend of all time. The first guy I ever started writing songs with. Um, rhythm, the two rhythm guitar and backup singers are really close friends as well. And one of them goes back to when I was about five or six years old. 
So like this, you couldn't be any tighter with a, with a band than I am with these guys, other than the Hootie guys, obviously that I went through everything with, but I've known these guys since pre Hootie, you know, and, uh, and, and they're still best friends and we still play together. And so that part's really special and they've gotten good enough to where they, we, you know, we can do anything. They've learned all my songs. We do Hootie covers, but we, one of the guys can sing really high. So we're able to do Zeppelin police rush all these songs that we grew up jamming on but nobody could sing but now we can do it because we've got one of our buddies that can sing that stuff and um so we did like limelight the other night at, at the ram's head you know and that i mean that's just so cool to me to be able to, to have that range to have that spectrum that we can play with them where you can just do you know, everything from we co covered an acoustic john prine song all the way down all the way up to rush limelight and uh with your best friends so i mean it's pretty spectacular in front of your other best friends. Yeah, that sounds awesome. When's the next time uh, we can uh, see you uh, in town or near in town? Well, I'm hoping that that show and the album create a little demand up there where I get pulled up for a festival or something cool like that. Mm -hmm. um, but if that doesn't happen, then it'll just be the next time I book something, you know, up there. Hopefully, Ram said maybe the Birchmere will be cool enough to have me in one day. Absolutely. Uh, wink, wink. Something on, cool Birch, like that. Man. So, on, do the right thing. yeah, just. The, I'm looking to do those kind of shows, like the right play and come up and, and have a really good play. So I'll be doing that the rest of my life. I love it. I love it. Mark, uh, I can't thank you enough. This has been uh, a lot of fun. Really appreciate you uh, taking time to, uh, to talk to us today. Joe, thank you so much, man. I appreciate you. And uh, best of luck with your new album, again, called uh, Midlife Priceless. And uh, open invitation, please stop by anytime, Mark. And um, again, thank you. Uh, that'll do it for this edition. Uh, I'm Joe Yashiroff. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next time on Moko's Most Famous. Have a great day, everybody.